everybody. This is Mary Morris with The Mary Morris Show, and I have a great guest I would like to welcome today, and it is Tracy Cully Rojas with Orange Coast Title. Um, she is a great expert on how to hold title and um, the obstacles that we that she sees while she's trying to clear title for people to sell their property and um, also to discuss trust in the the things that she comes up with on that while she's going through um, a title research. So welcome, Tracy. Well, thank you, Mary. I appreciate your having me on to come and talk. And um, you're exactly right. I am with Orange Coast Title, and I'm a field title officer. So what that means is I get to be out in the field with real estate agents instead of in the office closing transactions, which is typically what a title officer would do. So being a field title officer, I'm able to come out and talk to agents and present classes based on education relating to things that a topics that a real estate agent might need to know to make a smoother closing. Fantastic. Um, now, what are so what are the ways of holding title? I know that even comes up when we're closing a transaction on a on a buying side. So, um, what is it on a selling side? What are the ways? Well, the most common ways of acquiring title for single family homes, particularly, are tenants in common, joint tenants, or community property. You can also hold title in a trust. Um, but those would be the four most common ways of holding title. Okay. And um, can you explain a little bit about uh, each one of those, the difference? Sure. For te- yeah, sure, absolutely. So tenants in common means that the parties that are on title together have their interest separately. So tenants in common is separate interest. If two people are on title as tenants in common – That means that they have either 50-50, so 50% to each separate interest, tenants in common. If one passes away, the interest of the one that passes does not automatically go to the other person on title. Tenants in common means that their interest is actually separate from the other. So you could have 10 tenants in common, each as to an undivided 10% interest, and all their interests are separate from the others. You could have five or two. Uh, anytime that there's more than one, um, anybody can be a tenant in common as well, friends, family, partners, uh, but no right of survivorship. If okay. one passes, their interests would have to be probated. Now, with joint tenancy, the beautiful thing about joint tenancy is that it has the right of survivorship. So, again, uh, husband and wife can be joint tenants. Friends can be joint tenants. Family members can be joint tenants. Um, any more than two people, two or more people, I should say, can be joint tenants together. But if one of them dies, all of the parties that are joint tenants automatically get the interest of the one that passes. So it's called a right of survivorship. So the others that survive, that are still alive, get the interest of the one that passes with no probate, no court process needed there would need to be an affidavit death of the joint tenant recorded with a copy of their death certificate to account for them, but uh, there is no no further court supervision that's needed. It's just simply automatic. Uh, community property is a way to hold title with a spouse. 
community property is specific to spouses, and again, that includes the right of survivorship. So if one spouse passes away, automatically their interest goes to the surviving spouse. Now, the fourth way of holding title that's the most common in California, I would say, is probably holding your title in a trust. Uh, When you create a trust agreement, you create a trust, you can actually transfer your property through a deed uh, into your trust. And when you hold title in a trust, again, if a person that holds title in a trust passes away, there is not a probate needed. It's avoided because the trust agreement will let everybody know exactly what is supposed to happen when the person passes away. It indicates who the next authorized signer is. Uh, The trust is our guide to tell us exactly what is to take place once the the owner, trustee, creator of the trust has passed away. So that is uh, becoming a very popular way of holding title. And, and I have to say that I do see that more often as the trust is coming into play. Um, now, can I go back to the joint tenants and the community property? What, uh, seeing they both have right of survivorship, um, are they both, automatically 50-50 or 100%, 100%, or what makes them different? All right. So good question. Now with, um, you said community property and joint tenants? Uh, yes. So with community property and joint tenants, now community property can only be with spouses. So oh, it wouldn't okay. be with friends, partners, um, you know, other parties. That's Community property is always a husband and a wife. California is a community state, so we have community property laws in California for spouses, and they can also acquire title as community property, so that's just for spouses alone. Um, But uh, with joint tenants, for example, uh, I can tell you this, with joint tenants, everybody shares the same interest. So if uh, friends, family, husband and wife, whomever, no matter how many people are on title, they all have the same interest. They all have the same possession, interest, time, and they acquire or they acquire at the same time, and they all have the same title. They're all joint tenants. So with tenants in common, they have specific separate interests indicated. Joint tenants all share the same interest. So there wouldn't be like a 90 to one and 10 to another. Everyone would be considered to have the same. Okay. All right. Thank you for clarifying that. Um, okay, so let's go back to the trust because that seems to be something that is coming up more and more often. Um, now, you're talking about the trust as being the guide. The trust, is that required? Um, is a copy, a full copy of the trust required um, by your office to review when in escrow? Right, so in the case where people hold title in their trust, um, if they are currently alive and selling, Uh, so the initial creator of the trust is the owner. They're also the trustee, which would be the authorized signer, and they want to sell property. Um, If the the original person is alive and selling, then we do not need a full copy of the trust agreement. It's not necessary. They can fill out a simple one-page document that escrow gives to them to fill out. It's called a trust certification and basically, the trust certification just says that they're um, the current trustee. It gives the name of the trust agreement itself, the date of the trust, information like that. 
and um, they're able to simply turn that into escrow, and that is enough to substantiate that they're the authorized signer on behalf of their trust. Okay. Um, now, oh, I, now, I didn't realize that, so that's good to know, too. Um, now, if it's a successor trustee, you know, as of a child selling a house after a parent died, or um, or what about if uh, a parent is in assisted living and has dementia or something like that? How does that work? Right. So, again, uh, the trust is our guide. The trust has different sections that the trust agreement, that is, has different sections within it that will indicate what's supposed to happen if somebody becomes incapacitated. If the original owner, creator of the trust, becomes incapacitated, there'll be a section that says um, the only way they can be determined to be incapacitated is two doctor's letters could be required. So with two doctor's letters given to escrow or to an agent, um, the successor trustees, then would come into play and they could sign on behalf of a transaction. But again, uh, they'd have to be named in the trust agreement as the successors. Uh, If an original owner, trustor, and trustee of the trust passes away, then again, a successor trustee would come into play in that case as well. Okay. And and what happens if you can't find, like if you didn't know... um, uh, who the successor or how to get a hold of a successor trustee? What if um, do you do you do that process or is there a company that tries to track down a successor trustee? Well, the successor trustee information and the trust agreement those are off record matters. They're not you know, recorded documents or recorded information. So, generally speaking, the trust will indicate who the successor trustee is and then there will be a successor after them if they have passed away um, or want to resign. Now, if for some reason that family member just simply can't be located, um, which I've not had happen to date, but if they couldn't be located, um, then we could attempt to check the public records to see if there's an address for them. Obviously, you can always Google as well, people these days looking for information to locate someone. Um, But the first successor uh, in order, typically, would be the one that would be authorized, and um, they would have to sign. Um, Only a court order could set them aside unless they passed away, and we had a copy of their death cert to substantiate their death. And then the next person would come into play in that case. Okay. Um, all right. Well, I don't run into that very often, but I just wondered if um, if that's ever come up where you can't locate them or something. Um, yeah, I've never seen it, but the trust is our guide, so we have to rely on it. If it says the successor is to serve, then they must. Um, we can't decide that we just move on to the next one in order uh, without a court ordering that or, um, again, somebody having passed away in order to trigger the next successor. Okay. So um, bottom line, again, is always we've got to get a copy of the trust so you can use that as your guide on how to proceed um, with a circumstance like that. Um, Okay. And then what, you know, you do this every day, all day long. (laughs) What are the (laughs) obstacles that you find maybe – um, that come up 
more often than others, maybe things that people could do um, to not have issues that you see come up and you think, oh, this could have been resolved with just a simple that, you know, this or that. So I was just wondering if you had any stories to tell. Right. So there are a lot of common obstacles, and some are a little more subtle than others. So that means maybe they're of record, they're a public record, but they don't have an amount, for example, shown on them if they're a lien. So they seem a little bit more subtle and not so problematic, but they could be a problem. So the best thing to do is to kind of get familiar with what sorts of documents can be of of record and what can impact property. Um, So as you get your information about the property, you'll know whether an item is a red flag or not common scenario in California that we come up against is a lot of people are pretty sophisticated and they will record their own deeds transferring property between their family, their friends and those are called uninsured deeds and an uninsured deed is a transaction where there was no insurance given, no one's verified the validity of the transfers including uh, checking for forgery, accuracy that sort of thing so When in California we record deeds between family and friends, uh, we need to make sure that whoever came off title is available to give an affidavit stating that they did really come off title for no consideration, that they really have no interest in the property, and it was them that signed the deed. So that would be the number one most common thing to take into consideration in advance. Can we reach those people, get the statement, And also, remember, with real estate, creditors have rights as well. So any lien holder, whether it be the IRS, the state, a judgment creditor, could have a creditor's interest and a lien against the person that deeded off. So up to the point where someone deeds off, any liens recorded against them up to that point would have to be considered and paid, uh, even if there is someone new on title. So we always have clear statements of information and clear those names of the people that were on title before. We would need information from them in order to do that. So we always want to make sure those people are available to participate and consider their liens and um, just verify that the transfer is legitimate. Well, that's a good point to bring up because we, as realtors, sometimes we talk about people being able to use that proposition where you can transfer title from from you know a parent to a child or something like that, so that's what you're talking about an uninsured transfer uh, on that case, right? That's right. Okay. All right. And um, but that's good to know that we need to also make sure can can they sign an affidavit at that point or does it need to be at the point when they're ready to sell? They could sign an affidavit at the point that they sign the deed, but we would want it notarized by a different notary. So we have two people verifying the signature. And then at that time also, they could give a statement of information, fill it out, and give it to the person that stays on title to give to a title company if they need it. Title insurance companies, what we're doing is we're verifying the validity of every transfer up to the point of the sale that we're insuring. So behind the scenes, we're checking signatures, we're checking accuracy for the documents, making sure the legal description of the property um, is correct and uh, grantor and grantee's names are correct. The, The person giving the property and receiving all of that is accurate. 
So, um, yeah, so we go through that process with uninsured deeds. Well, I'll tell you, it sure sounds like I can see why you need all this information. You need the trust when there is a trust involved. You need that um, statement of information, which people do question sometimes because you're going back in their, you know, history. You know, why do you need to know where I lived five years ago or whatever? Um, and, yeah, so you're you're just verifying who these people are down the road and making sure that they are who they are. Um, and, boy, I didn't, you know, it's amazing what work that you have to do to make sure that you're ensuring that the people who are selling are valid and the people who are buying are are the valid buyers as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. So once the buyer acquires title, we will have already accounted for anybody that may have a creditor's interest, an interest to the fee title itself. All of that will be cleared up when they acquire. And then after closing, they can just enjoy the house and they don't have to worry about any you know past lien or, or person on title. Okay. And one last thing. Now, once you have title uh, on a property and insurance, that title stays on there until that property is sold again, right? It doesn't matter how many years that is. Is that correct? That's right. So if you acquire title, um, you pay one time. The seller actually provides the buyer typically with the title policy of clear title for a sale transaction. Once the policy is issued to the buyer, as long as they're on title, they still have title insurance. They don't pay monthly. It's paid at the acquisition. And um, they have the insurance for the life of uh, for as long as they're on title. And even if they deed to their trust, for example, they would still have insurance. So, um, you know, it's well worth it, obviously, and it can last for decades. Fantastic. Well, I think this is a wealth of information, Tracy, and I really appreciate you coming on and um, hopefully, you know, making this a little bit more understandable for the general public. And and it is even for me every time I listen to your, um, you know, when I, when we listen to your classes and things like that, I learn always learn something um, that I didn't know before. So I really appreciate you coming in. And um, I hope to maybe have you back another time and we may go into depth and and some other things um, that I see out in the field when that does come up. Um, I'd love to have you come back again. Yeah, I would really enjoy that. I'm enjoying sharing information and representing Orange Coast Title. It's been such a pleasure, and uh, I appreciate you for asking me on. Oh, you're welcome, Tracy, and thank you, and have a wonderful day. All right, take care. Bye-bye. Okay, bye. You've been called to the CEO's office. You've been busting your hump all year. You think to yourself, I deserve this. Your boss slides a piece of paper across the table. This is the moment you've been waiting for. Because you know there's never been a better time to test drive the 2019 Mercedes-Benz GLA at your authorized Mercedes-Benz dealer. That's right, the sleek SUV you've had your eye on at a truly surprising price. Visit mbusa.com slash GLA to learn more. Mercedes-Benz, the best or nothing. You've been called to the CEO's office. You've been busting your hump all year. You think to yourself, I deserve this. Your boss slides a piece of paper across the table. This is the moment you've been waiting for.
because you know there's never been a better time to test drive the 2019 Mercedes-Benz GLA at your authorized Mercedes-Benz dealer. That's right, the sleek SUV you've had your eye on at a truly surprising price. Visit mbusa.com GLA to learn more. Mercedes-Benz, the best or nothing. 